Today on Telling the Truth, Jill Briscoe gets to the heart of how you can best love your spouse. There are a hundred practical steps that can help, but only one thing that can actually breathe real, lasting love into your marriage. Hear that exciting message from Jill Briscoe in just a moment. But first, if you want a strong and lasting marriage, the best place to look for guidance is the creator of marriage itself, God. We want to help you build a healthy and fulfilling marriage by sending you Jill Briscoe's series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work. We'll send you this resource along with a beautiful Bible verse print as thanks for your gift today to help others experience life in Christ. So call today to request your copy of this powerful four-message series, 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Jill with more about how to develop intimacy and encourage your spouse. Spiritual companionship. If you can verbalize that to him, I want a spiritual companion. We share this, we share that, we share, we have fun together, we're great socially, we're doing well sexually, etc., etc. But I, I want... I want a friend spiritually too. I want a spiritual companion. That is not as frightening to a man. And it might be that you can start very simply in the morning at breakfast time and he can say to you, what are you doing today? And you can tell him. And he could say, okay, let me pray about that. Pray about you going to the doctors with the kid or going to this or facing that or writing a difficult letter to your mother or whatever. And then you can say to him, and what are you doing today? And he says, well, I've got this and I've got a very difficult situation at work. I've got to handle this person. I've got to fire him. Da, 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 da. Okay. And you can say, Lord, I pray for my husband. He's got a difficult situation today. Just like that. As simple as that. That's how you can start and become a spiritual companion. And you can begin a walk of spiritual intimacy together. So pray about it. Pray about your marriage. How is your prayer life? The deeper your prayer life, the better your marriage. Yes, it will. I tell you. When Stuart and I were in missions, we were apart a lot. He was on the other side of the world, like he is today. He's in Switzerland, having just come back from India. (laughs) So here we are, back where we began in this ministers at large deal. We're crisscrossing each other in the sky saying, hi, as we go in opposite directions. In the early days, I was not traveling as well. I was put, stayed put. And I found that I could be close to my husband in prayer. That if I bowed my knees at my bedside, I was instantly in Australia by his side. You can go anywhere in the world on your knees. And it was an incredible thing. And the same for him. In prayer, you are together. Not physically, but you are together. He would call me and he'd say, I'm with you, honey. Now, he wasn't. He was in Australia. And I was in England, which is literally the other end of the world. But he was. We were together, though we were apart. I know some people who are together physically, but they're apart. And so the idea of being spiritually together, the thing that... Stuart and I have found does for us more than anything else, takes us into the house of spiritual intimacy, is prayer. We pray. We pray at night before we go to sleep. We pray before we get out of bed in the morning together. We pray before we go out into the day. And often if we're here and we're even 
handling some difficult things, I'll just pop into his office and shut the door and we'll pray. We pray, and prayer has brought us very, very close together. We have a friend in Edinburgh who is a missionary translating the Bible into a language that is belongs to a country that is closed to Christianity. And so they have spent a life going back and forth apart from each other. They're both translators. They have translated Bibles, concordances, commentaries in one particular language nobody else has even touched. They are the experts. But it has meant the whole of their married life they have lived apart. The whole of their married life they have lived apart. And I feel very close to my husband today even though he is at this moment in Geneva, Switzerland, very close to him, because constantly he's in my mind and in the throne room, and we go in and out, and he has me there as well, in his heart and in prayer. And so I cannot emphasize enough how it affects the whole of your marriage to start. And if your husband's a long way off being able to do that with you yet, and for you that, you start, you do the work, you begin to pray. So spiritual intimacy. Second, sexual intimacy. Sexual pleasure is permissible. You know, the problem with our whole sexual lives in this day and generation is we have to take individual responsibility to do the healing from the past. And if that healing isn't done, and all of us probably have taken into our marriage, all of us, and my generation included, have other things wrong views of sexuality. All of us have to do some healing from the past when we come into a biblical sexuality. And so what perhaps we need to do sometimes is just get alone and quiet and write down how we view sexuality. Write it out in a paragraph. How do you view sexuality? And look at what you've written down and say, you know, this doesn't look right. I mean, be honest. This does not look right. And ask yourself, as you look at that paragraph that you have tried to put on paper of what your view of sexuality really is, does that look like a biblical sexuality? Or doesn't it? Or doesn't it? I well remember my husband... He goes into this coffee bar when we're doing street work and it's opposite our house and he trips over this couple lying on the floor intertwined around each other. It's very dark. You can hardly see. It's all psychedelic. And so he says, oh, I'm sorry. And what you do in coffee bar work is you're very spontaneous. You just say the first thing that comes out of your mouth and then try and use what what happens. So he said, oh, excuse me, are you alive? And the guy looks up and says... He wants to know, to his chick, he wants to know if we're alive. And she says, well, are you? (laughs) And he says, of course I'm alive. So they're still down on the floor, and he's standing over them asking these questions. And he said, why? He says, why what? He said, why are you alive? He says, why does there have to be a why? So at that point, they uh, unintertwined or whatever, (laughs) untwined, (laughs) and grabbed a table, and Stuart brought them a cup of coffee, and he said, now let's start again. Are you al- I asked you, are you alive? You said, yes, of course I'm alive. I asked you, why? You said, why does there have to be a why? And so then Stuart looked around and he said, does that cup have a reason for existence? Yes. Does this table? Yes. Does everything in this room have a reason for existence? Yes. Are you greater or lesser than these things? Well, I'm greater than these things. Well, isn't that funny? They all have a reason for existence, but you don't. How can it be that something greater than these things would not have a reason? And so from then he went on to taking it around to truth and God 
etc., etc. And then the band stops and we get a chance to get up on the stage and just do five minutes, just a, a sort of five-minute little talk that stimulates questions and sort of all pre, what we call pre-evangelism. And then the band starts again and then you come down and they talk to you about what you've just set up on the platform. That's the way you do coffee bar work or open-air work. So after his little talk, he's just said, now, anybody, next time I'm up on the platform in about 20 minutes... What do you want me to talk about? And so from the deep recesses came uh, sex, <laughs> sex, because they knew he was a Christian and didn't believe in it. Get that. And so they have this view, kids that are not believers, that sexuality belongs to them and not to anybody that walks in the door of a church, that somehow the church would take sexuality and throw it out and say it's evil or it's wrong because they are engaging in sex that they pretty well know is evil and wrong in some respects. And so they think that sex as a whole has no place within the church or its teachings or the Bible. And what a great thing it was for Stuart to say, I'd be delighted to talk about sex. If it wasn't for sex, I would not be here. If it was not for sex, you would not be here. So if you were not here and I was not here, nobody would be here and we couldn't have this meeting. So I'm delighted to talk about sex because God thought of it first. And there was a shock right the way through that place. God, God thought of it first? Yes, God thought of it first. We've messed it up, but God thought of it first. And there is a biblical sexuality. So take responsibility to do the healing and the work of the past that you need. Intended for Pleasure is a wonderful Christian book that might help you. Intended for Pleasure. Today on Telling the Truth, you're listening to Jill Briscoe share wisdom from God's Word on how to have the marriage God designed for you. She'll be right back with more. But first, one question we often hear from Telling the Truth listeners is, what's the Bible's secret to a long, happy marriage? Over their years of ministry, Stuart and Jill Briscoe have both had a lot to say about this question. After all, they had the biblical wisdom and real-life experience over 60 years of marriage to back it up. And in Jill's four-message series called Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work, she shares timeless truth on marriage from the Bible, along with practical day-to-day advice from her own marriage to Stuart. We want to help you build a marriage that stands the test of time as you apply biblical truth to help your marriage not only survive, but thrive. That's why we're excited to send you eight things that make a marriage work, as well as a beautifully designed print featuring a Bible verse on marriage as our thanks for your gift today. Your gift will help keep sharing the life-changing truth of God's love with people around the world through the resources and teaching of telling the truth. So call today to request eight things that make a marriage work when you give. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, let's get back to Jill as she shares more about developing intimacy in your marriage. Social intimacy, having fun together. I'm very intense. Stuart has a lot of fun. 
That's one thing I love about my husband. It's probably one reason I married him, that he made me laugh. And he relaxes me. He's got a great sense of humor, and we have a lot of fun together. But we don't have it without me working at it. <laughs> and I just get wound tighter and tighter and tighter, and I'm very spiritually intense and intense as a person. So I have to put it on my schedule. Thursday, have fun <laughs> with Stuart. So then we have fun. We have not been home very much together lately, and we suddenly found that we had Tuesday when we were mostly together for most of the day, and so we said, we're going to have fun. What do we do? Well, find things that don't cost money. The best things in life are free. And then just encourage each other as you go on in life. I want to end by talking about commitment. Commitment. I haven't really hit this on the head, except I did talk about the burning building. Did I talk about the burning building to you? I did. Good. You know, when your marriage is on fire, it's like a burning building, and you both hold a key, and there's a fire escape, and what you have to do is throw the keys out of the window, and then both of you will fight the flames. Very, very important. Commitment. You are committed till death you do part, not divorce. One of the things that happens in marriages is trouble comes. When trouble comes, commitment can be really tested. I have a friend who has a little boy who developed leukemia when he was four. And I watched that illness of the child begin to tear the couple apart. When trouble comes with one of your children, you have to be together, you have to be committed, because otherwise you have different ideas of how it should be handled, etc., etc., etc. And deep trouble can tear you apart. You can look at it differently, you can want to handle it differently. I know that when we face deep trouble with one of our children and a divorce situation, the day we learned about that, I can tell you where I was standing, in my kitchen, and my husband said to me, okay, we're going to pray. This will not come between us. This will only drive us closer together. Let's commit before God to that. Because we have had much trouble in our lives, normal trouble, and deaths of our parents and problems of immigrating and all sorts of things. And I tell you something, each event can either drive you together or it can tear you apart. If you are committed to fighting the fire, the fire of trouble, the fire of adversity, then the key will be long thrown out of the window. And just make sure you verbalize to each other, okay, Let's get together on this. Let's pray about this. Let's be together in trouble. Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac took Rebecca. She became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted, encouraged after his mother's death. After his mother's death. She was able to encourage him in trouble. When my mom was dying, she was in England and I was here. And we didn't know when she was going to die. She had cancer. And so it was very difficult to know when I should go home. And in the end, Stuart said, why don't you go now while she's still well enough? And because you just can't go rushing back over the Atlantic every time the doctor calls and says she's taking a turn for the worse. So I decided to go while she was well. I walk into the house and the little caregiver looks at me and says, you're Mrs. Briscoe from America? And I say, yes. She said, your mother's dying. I said, no, 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 my mother isn't dying. The doctor said she's six months to live. I've come before she dies. She said, your mother's dying. She'll die while you're here turned around and walked back in the kitchen. And sure enough, she did. It was an incredible, difficult time in my life. Stuart did not have his visa, 
so he could not come. He was going to Africa, and I was going to join him after I'd been to see my mother in Africa. And so, a very, very <laughs> bizarre situation in a big family. They allowed me to put the funeral together and to, to sort everything out. But you can imagine the weight of all of that in, on, on my shoulders. I left there after the funeral, and I joined Stuart in Africa. Alerted in my spirit to the truth of mother's condition, I had begun to want to visit her. Stuart and I were slated to go to Africa on a tour of ministry. I was there in that bedroom when the angels came for her, and the little bedroom was alive with divine activity, so I wasn't surprised when Peggy stopped breathing. I called home to tell everyone the news of her exodus. The funeral came and went, and I joined Stuart in Africa, where we had a healing five weeks of ministry together. It took me half that time to talk about Peggy's death with Stuart. The pain was too intense. I couldn't bear to dig down to find the words. My nerves were too raw. Too many times during the day, the death scene rudely intruded, unbidden, into my mind. Stuart understood. He'd lost both his parents. Lying in his arms one night in the incredible heat of the sub-Sahara, I was able to talk at last and tell him, detail by horrible detail, all of it. He stroked my hair, he soothed my pain, and he cried too. No wonder the Bible says two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. Isaac took Rebecca into his tent and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is part of God's plan for marriage, that in trouble, in death, in problems, we together put both our minds and energy and heart and will to solving the problem as it comes to us. And it will come to you. So commitment is where it's at. Commitment. I think I've often told the story of our engagement. Did I tell it to you? No. He puts this ring on my finger and he says, and I'm expecting Shakespeare or Milton or... I'm an English major from Cambridge, so come on, you know. And he's a bank inspector. <laughs> so he puts the ring on my finger and I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be so wonderful, what's this phrase? And he says, well, Jill, that's that. <laughs> And I remember thinking, well, we've got a lifetime to work on this. You know, we'll start. <laughs> That's that. And yet, you know, I've often laughed about that incident. Have been for me some of the most romantic and wonderful words of my life. That's that. I know that my husband's committed to me. I know he's safe out of sight. I know because he said to me one day, That's that. That's that. That's that. And he knows he can trust me out of sight. And he knows that I'm committed to him till death us do part. He knows that because I said to him, and that's that. That's that. God can keep a marriage together. God can heal a marriage. God can bless a marriage. He can bring intimacy spiritually. He can bring intimacy sexually. He can bring intimacy, biblical intimacy socially. And he can make us healthy people and give us healthy marriages. But not just to give us healthy marriages, that our marriages and our homes may be the place that the world who doesn't know anything about this and desperately needs to can see hope. You mean a man and woman can actually make a marriage work? 
You mean parents can actually raise kids that know and love the Lord? Little big fish? Yes. And maybe it's your family that's going to be a blessing to somebody else's family. That was Jill Briscoe helping you develop a more intimate and encouraging marriage. She's coming right back to sit down and answer some questions on that topic. But before you hear from her, God has given you the secrets to a long-lasting and joy-filled marriage. And they're found throughout the pages of Scripture. We want to help you mine the treasures of God's Word so that you can grow your marriage God's way. That's why we're excited to send you Jill Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work. This powerful series will breathe new life into your marriage as you learn to anchor your relationship to God's truth. We'll send you eight things that make a marriage work, along with a special design print featuring a Bible verse on marriage as thanks for your gift this month to keep sharing the teaching and resources of telling the truth with so many around the world. Generous friends like you keep broadcasts like this one going reaching others with God's healing love so they can experience life in Christ. If you haven't given before, consider a gift today to help keep God's word going out to you and many others. And remember to request eight things that make a marriage work and your Bible verse print when you call and give. Just call 1-800-889-5388, 1-800-889-5388, or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Jill with some insight into questions you may have on marriage. Jill, thank you for this great series on marriage. What's the most important lesson we should take away from your teaching? Well, the most important is marriage is God's idea, so ask Him what it's all about. And He has laid out so much help for us in the Word of God. And uh, find it. Buy a concordance, which is a book with all the words in the Bible in it, and look at marriage. And that gives you every single time the word is used. Or look up wedding, uh, look up relationship. Find the passages to do with marriage and read them. And read them in the presence of God and read them with your husband and discuss them and pray about them and find out what he wants you to do because his only wish for you, seeing marriage is his idea, you find out what that idea is. What are the rules of it? What are the principles of it? What makes a marriage work and what makes a marriage a wreck? It's all there in the in the Bible, in the manual. And if you were going to learn to drive a car, then you'd have to learn the manual. If you're going to learn to drive a marriage, then learn the manual and then be obedient to it. Let Christ govern your marriage and be obedient, even when it's hard. And obedience and faith and trust, all of that comes together um, in the presence of God in prayer. So I think the most important lesson I hope you'll take away from my teaching is if you want a good marriage, then you need to know God. That's what you need to do. I know there are people listening that say, yes, 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 but is there any help where I am? I don't know if there is. But I would suggest if you don't belong to a community of faith, to a church, that you go find one. And if you're in a church, ask, is there a young couples group? Is there a premarital group here? Is there a marriage and family group? Is What, what is there in this church that will help me to know other couples, 
that have marriages and that we can grow together because that's very important. And even look for them yourself. And if that church doesn't offer anything, then find a program, a Christian program in your community that does. Because um, that could save your marriage, that could enhance your marriage, that could save other people's marriage. You need, uh, you need that group with a common interest and a common desire to enhance their marriage. And that is hugely helpful. I can't tell you the number of people that have, we've been able to put together just two couples who have helped each other. One lifts the other up when they're down and how they have helped each other in their marriages. And I would recommend this highly for you to do. Thanks, Joel. Before we go, we want to remind you this month, when you give to continue sharing God's word through Telling the Truth broadcasts like this one, we'll send you Joel Briscoe's four-message series, Eight Things That Make a Marriage Work along with a Bible verse print about marriage. This powerful series will encourage you with eight biblical keys to a healthy, life-giving marriage. So please request your copy when you call 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Thanks for joining us today on Telling the Truth. Listen and experience life next time on Telling the Truth.